0: Programming notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes and extended summaries for the week of September 4th, 2022. So very briefly, I moved out the survey, the getting started survey, a few weeks. I just now had the time to devote to fixing it and finalizing it, let alone putting it into Google Forms. Also, I want to slow down in general my number of interviews and start having you all interview each other. I will put those episodes on Data Mesh Radio and then probably also create another stream of just those episodes, uh, podcast, you know, in and of itself, uh, where people can just have that single feed. If you want to get involved, it's really, really, really not hard to find me. So if you are more than three launched data products into your journey and want to chat with other folks, let's do it and do it and record it, right? I will probably create some standard questions so people can have a bit of a jumping off point, But I think being open and honest about implementations will be really useful. And I don't necessarily know the questions that you all want to ask each other. I keep asking for people to tell me what they want to ask each other, but I keep getting very generic questions instead of kind of things that people want specifically to know. Also, with those, I won't feel the need to write the extended summaries, which are really the hardest part of all of this. So it's a double win for me. Oh, and keep an eye out for uh, data mesh light and shade in the near future. That's all I'll say about that right now. And this is also probably the last week of four episodes for quite a while, if not ever. It's just too much. Plus, these, you know, summary episodes, because of the extended summaries, are no joke to make either, and I don't count those in the four. So really, there are five episodes of, you know, 10 minutes or so plus this week. That's, That's just too much. So what's actually on tap for this week? On Monday, it's going to be episode 123, Reflecting on Multiple Data Mesh Implementations, Iterating Your Way to Success, which is with Simon Massey and Sunny Jaisinghani. So Sunny and Simon helped HSBC roll out their uh, data mesh implementation and then left to go work at a consulting company. So they're now knee deep in actually their third implementation. There is a lot to learn from this one, from somebody who's (laughs) a couple of people who've been there multiple times. And I've seen a lot of this stuff as to what's going to get you to success. On Tuesday, it's episode 124, is CDC an anti-pattern in data mesh? Mesh Musings 28. This one will get a bit into the weeds Um, The long and the short of it is yes and no. Like most things in data mesh, it's all about how you use it and and the details. But I think there's too many people that are thinking that CDC is the thing that's going to save them instead of CDC is simply a tool. You can't just expose uh, a data stream as if that is a data product. On uh, Wednesday, oh, and CDC is Change Data Capture for people who aren't aware. On Wednesday, episode 125, Uh, Jamak's corner number three: uh, How should you choose your initial data? Your initial use cases, right? This has been a big burning question for me, and Jamak answers it really well, just beautifully. You know, truly, some really awesome insight into a question that I think a lot of people starting out get really stuck on. So I think it's important that it um, there's just some good framing around how to think about that. On Friday, it's episode one twenty-six, evolving from data projects. To data as a product, uh, data platform six years in the making, which is an interview with Blanca Mayo and Pablo Alvarez Doval. So Blanca and Pablo at Plain Concepts started out you know, six years ago by building data platforms as projects for a number of their consulting clients. They've since over the years transitioned more to having a platform for their customers, a data platform. So you can take in their learnings from six years of undoing some early mistakes, right? How do you set your, your platform up to evolve and to be agnostic and things like that? This is a common theme that uh, there's going to be more episodes on in the future. And this is something that we really need to think about. of How do we maintain this ability to evolve and the ability to maintain, um, to be agnostic to multiple use cases. So I think there's uh, some pretty good learnings in this as we kind of delve deeper into this topic. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into the extended summaries for the two interviews for this week. Extended summary for episode 123, reflecting on multiple data mesh implementations, iterating your way to success, an interview with Sonny Jaisingani and Simon Massey. In this episode, I interviewed Sonny and Simon, who are both principal consultants at the consulting company eSynergy. They have been involved in multiple data mesh implementations, including at a large bank. This episode could also have been titled Aligning incentives, reducing friction, and continuous improvement slash value delivery. But it doesn't roll off the tongue very well, now does it? (laughs) Sonny and Simon started off the conversation with a very key point that should be said more often in data mesh. We are all still learning how to do data mesh well and where the sharp edges are. Even those who have been doing general distributed data and or data mesh for multiple years, we're still all learning. As I've said, everyone feels a bit like they're behind the curve, but no one is the expert on anything in data mesh really yet. Trying to lead a data mesh implementation or even thinking about data mesh with a technology first approach is a big mistake many people make, according to Simon and Sonny. Data mesh should be close to 75% the ways of working and 25% technology if you are doing it right. If you don't get to a good place with the organizational aspects, those ways of working, your data mesh implementation won't work. Once you start to really find your own ways of working, that is when the force, the value force multiplier of mesh really kicks in. But it takes hard work to get there. And of course, old habits die hard. Change is painful and it will be difficult to change the ways of working. I think we all know that, but it's good to (laughs) constantly hear that so when people are going through it, They're not like, oh, am I the only one? Sunny and Simon have helped lead multiple data mesh implementations, as I said, and the initial getting going is always unique to the organization. In their first implementation, they had the budget and freedom to drive innovation enough to find the early adopters, then prove out the value. They were able to go to senior management with proof points when asking for funding to go broad. But most organizations, people won't have that luxury and it will need to be more of a top-down mandate with an executive sponsor. But that might also make it harder to find use cases because people see it as a mandate instead of a collaboration at first. And you are likely to lose momentum and at least some funding, if not all of it, if you aren't able to show a value in one to two quarters from your data mesh implementation. So get to delivering continuous incremental value early instead of a big bang back-ended and loaded approach. On finding kind of that coalition of the willing, those domains willing to be the early adopter, guinea pigs, Simon and Sonny recommend looking for people who can understand that having better, more reliable, more high agility data practices, that will make their lives better. Those tend to be the teams that are semi-mature with data. For the teams that are less mature with data, you can win them over with the allure, especially for those using more of the like mainframe, the legacy type technologies, of working with mesh is going to mean upskilling and getting to use some cutting edge technologies. On um, both of those types of teams, Sonny and Simon, have seen people get excited by the rate of iteration possible with data, right, when you think about data mesh. For those data mature teams, instead of building everything themselves and having lots of checks by governance, legal, et cetera, to ensure they meet every bit of compliance, data mesh means much less red tape. So it removes, it removes a lot of annoying friction for them, and they can focus on driving value. But honestly, Sonny and Simon see it as the pressure to remove the friction will often come from the data consumers So they can actually work with other data and and all the other aspects of that. Simon and Sonny recommend in general, in driving buy-in at the actual domain level, look for valuable use cases that are within the domain itself or closely aligned subdomains. That way you can do much more trial and error because the producer and consumer are often one in the same or pretty close to being one in the same. It also means they will be more incentivized to make it worthy of a mesh data product. It will benefit themselves. And don't push out data products for broad consumption too early. After an alpha stage where it is only consumed by that within the producing domain, where it's not really even a product yet, but you're still applying some product principles to it, for the beta stage, start with a single use case outside the domain. Once you have the hang of that, think about offering broader access to the data product to more consumers and serving more use cases, but don't push data products out too early. This is kind of a debate that comes up in almost every data mesh conversation. I think it's it's one to really think about what is your genesis around a data product? Another incentivization mistake many make, especially the exec sponsors, is focusing too much on the end state big picture for Sonny and Simon. you know, So the CDO or CIO saying, when we have all of our data organized into these beautiful data products and with amazing self-serve capabilities, think about all the value domains, go make that happen. But that misses the point of what about now? Why are domains incentivized in the meantime, right? If all the value is going to be two, three, five years, why will they be excited to participate now? Why not have other people be the guinea pigs and do the hard work and they can come in and and get the value? According to Simon and Sonny, you will need to focus on quickly unlocking business value with each analytical data product as well as with improvements to the platform or other aspects of your implementation, right? We need to constantly be doing that continuous incremental value delivery, right? Constantly be iterating towards delivering continuous incremental business value. Always be improving what you've got when the, the work has a good return on investment. Also, believing is seeing. When other domains start to get a positive spotlight from their data-informed results or whatever of their use case, more domains are likely to want to participate. Sonny and Simon emphasized how important continuous improvement and iteration to value are in data mesh. You don't have to get it perfect out of the gate. A huge benefit of data mesh is the ability to add and adjust incrementally as you learn more to drive more value. Consumers also have to be on board that things may change, but overall, it's just far better. Incremental improvement and iteration aren't just for your analytical data products, according to Sunny and Simon. Historically, our data setups have been sort of all or nothing. You either got it right and it created a lot of value or you didn't and it was a flop. The ability to and the cost of change in data was very high. Monetary costs, delayed time to insights costs, et cetera. But with data mesh, it is inherently about iterating, evolving, making improvements, building incrementally, learning and changing, etc. On some anti-patterns, Simon and Sonny pointed to people trying to do far too much upfront before they start to deliver value. No battle plan survives contact with the enemy. The inherently messy nature of data is our enemy. You will learn far more after you get moving forward than trying to build and build and plan ahead of everything ahead of time. Set your North Star and start traveling. Focus on CYA, you know, cover your butt, governance, keep out the layers of complexity, no feature stuffing, don't feature stuff into your platform. It's incredibly easy to overcomplicate early on in your data mesh journey. Try to avoid that few other anti-patterns Sin- Sunny and Simon had discussed not ensuring your technology and business sides of every use case are actually collaborating you know you can deliver that cool shiny thing that the business doesn't want or need so communicate better to prevent that number 2 would be going for width of data on the mesh right instead of making sure the data that you put out there on the mesh is ready for consumption don't put data on the mesh if there isn't a specific use case for that data again these are all Sonny and Simon's opinions, I think some of these are are quite right, but I'm, I'm trying to put it in their view instead of uh, specifically my own. Number three, having a messy data strategy, right? Becoming data-driven isn't a strategy. You need to actually have like a tight strategy around what you're trying to do and how does that tie into the business strategy, as past guests have talked about. Number four is moving forward without the organizational maturity to really succeed. If you're not ready for data mesh, that's okay. You can spend the time to get ready, but just trying to go because you see value, that's that's not going to work out well. Number five, as stated earlier, focusing on the technology to the detriment of the organizational aspects. Bad, bad aiming pattern. Number six, calling everything an analytical data product. If it's a report or an insight, Simon and Sonny don't think that should be called a data product it muddies the water too much, right? Then everything is a data product. Number seven, not adding a clarifier to data product to make it clear exactly what an analytical or mesh data product is. The phrase, you know, quote unquote, data product is more often misunderstood than understood. So especially when you're talking with domains, producers, consumers, even, you want to, to make it clear that it is specifically related to mesh and analytics, so-called analytical data product, mesh data product. Number eight, playing on number seven, trying to mix in operational concerns like live transactions into analytical data products. You will optimize for operational concerns and analytics will become a second class concern. Making analytics a first class concern is pretty crucial and kind of a core tenet of effectively doing data mesh, right, Making, treating your data like a product, making data actually those products as first-class citizens. And number nine, finally, of the last uh, anti-patterns, chaining too many data products off each other. Downstream of downstream of downstream data products can become a real issue. Try to push use cases upstream where possible. Per Sunny and Simon, data work has had a high cost. It's been very difficult to get everything right historically, and on-prem purchase, hard, you know, hardware purchase cycles certainly didn't help. You wanted to make sure something will have a big benefit before looking to invest in it on the analytics side. So there was much less innovation, just going after the low-hanging fruit, where the chance and reward of success was high and relatively known, and yet many projects still fail. However, in data mesh, we can lower the incremental cost to experimentation and new data production very significantly. So you can actually test out more experimental you know, high chance of failure, but high reward use cases. And it means you will now have the fast time to market capabilities to go after so many analytics opportunities we really couldn't in the past. A key part of this uh, that they talked about it, the lower cost of trial and even failure is from cloud economics. On-prem data mesh probably is not worth it in their view. Sunny and Simon referenced one of Schmack's old figures from early in her sharing about data mesh where there are three separate groups, you know, the data producers, the central data team, and the data consumers. The producers have smiley faces, they're in a happy world. The consumers have kind of a neutral face, like, eh, could be better, could be worse. And the central data team are all, you know, frowny faces. That's because of far too many handoffs between teams. That central team has ownership without context and are a bottleneck and get overworked very easily. But for, so for your own sanity, stay away from handoffs where possible around, you know, capabilities. Don't try to build teams that are super focused on capabilities uh it's just going to lead to bottlenecks and issues on ownership around derived data products Simon and Sonny mentioned something one has wrote his ears talked about all the way back in episode five pushing transformations left data consumers should make sure data producers understand what data transformations they are doing from data products to see if the data producer the data product owner should actually own those transformations as part of that, that source of the data product. It's more reliable and cost-efficient and might make the source data product more valuable to other consumers if we push that upstream. So I'll wrap up with a few tidbits. Get the governance team on board from day one with your Mesh implementation. They can help if you have government, governance questions, but they shouldn't be forced to be the decision maker. That makes them a bottleneck. Acclimatize people to iteration. Constant change is a new norm. Make it not scary. It's an opportunity to improve, not destroying what you've already built. And it's okay to make the missteps that require a course correction. We can iterate. We need to make sure that we're not being too precious and that we're moving forward. Data contracts are very crucial in general. If people can't know exactly what is promised and clearly what isn't, it's hard to trust these data products. Finally, with Data Mesh, we stop storing data just in case it's valuable in the future. Data sitting around has cost and risk associated. So this is about kind of doing things with intentionality. extended summary for episode 126, Evolving from Data Projects to Data as a Product, a Data Platform Six Years in the Making, which is an interview with Blanca Mayallo and Pablo Alvarez-Doval. So in this episode, I interviewed Blanca, who's a product manager of data platforms, and Pablo, who's the lead of data platforms and the principal data architects at the consulting company Plain Concepts. From here forward in the summary, I will mostly refer to what was said by Blanca and Pablo combined into one viewpoint, rather than trying to specifically call out who said which part. As an important background for the conversation, Pablo and Blanca discussed Plain Concept's journey from a consulting company towards a product company. They had been working with their clients for years, building out a reference architecture for each client's own data platform implementation, right? They had the reference architecture, but they were building out these separate platforms for each of the clients. They were doing fit for purpose, solving very specific challenges with point solutions and not managing the evolution of what they were doing like a product. So the two pillars from Data Mesh that really resonated with them most were data as a product thinking and the self-serve platform. You know, platform thinking is key. They started to push back on their previous practice of putting in additional capabilities to the platform without a key business reason. You know, it's cool tech. It can do this awesome thing and began to manage the platform much more as a product. Per Blanca and Pablo, part of switching to, you know, product and platform thinking was starting to focus on what to remove from and, and what not to add to the platform. Now they think about where they need to go to support all the users and align everyone developing the platform on the same vision instead of trying to support every possible use case. And it's okay for people to use technologies or services that aren't part of the platform if necessary. Shadow IT is really is only really in the shadows if it's not known about. Another big learning has been the transition of pieces of the platform to keep up with the best available offerings. For example, they started using Hadoop and now mostly use Spark. The platform team was asked to support very specific use cases and did a temporary solution with an eye from the beginning on deprecation. And they recommend you start communicating deprecation as early as possible too and work with users to migrate when the time comes. What you know, typically homegrown pieces of the platform are not up to the best practices in the industry anymore. One that they actually mentioned as a very specific example was they replaced their own data testing and validation system with great expectations because great expectations was better than what they were building and it had a more robust roadmap. Pablo and Blanca discussed a major failure mode around data transformation in general. Your data transformation not being a business strategy transformation. On the micro level, why is the use case you are developing good for the business? Then keep thinking about that up to higher and higher levels of transformation. Look at data mesh in general. If making a major transformation like data mesh isn't part of the, the business transformation, Will you be able to even make the necessary organizational changes? You know, there's so many aspects of data match that you've got to get right. If you can't make the organizational changes, can you do it at all? I don't think so. And you must constantly communicate as well about the transformation, the what and the why and how the transformation will evolve too. You will learn along the way. Leaving no room for evolution clearly doesn't work well. And in general, people in data aren't used to evolution, per Blanca and Pablo. This has come up quite in quite a few of the episodes, right? In a few of their customers and clients, every other team except the data team has been good with the new ways of change management. And it's understandable. The cost of change in data has been high historically, especially with the data warehouse. To get the data team on your side, though, Thinking evolution is good, you need to collaborate with them and get them to understand the reasons for the change. And I know I'll make this note. I know most listeners, you are the data team that wants to drive change, but you are kind of the the bold few rather than a lot of these data teams are kind of stuck around. They don't want change. When talking about change, Pablo and Blanca pointed to a common thread in, in interviews again, Most data teams have not adopted modern software engineering practices. We're still essentially doing the same thing we were 20, 30, even more years ago. The data architects and data engineers like to play with the bleeding edge technologies, but they often aren't trying to adopt them for the right reasons. And in Blanca and Pablo's view, instead of bleeding edge, it's better to use more proven tech most of the time unless there really is a capability that's necessary and only available in something that's more emerging. So they're saying, go for a little bit more of the tried and true rather than the the super cool and new. When asked about keeping an eye out for what should be added to the platform regarding reuse, Pablo and Blanca said they were seeing the same general patterns repeatedly. And even there's some parallelism into what other more general software or operational excellent initiatives require, right? That it's not just um, the same thing in data, it's <laughs> it's a lot of the same things that you need no matter what across anything with, with software. It wasn't that it was exactly the same, but once you zoomed out, challenges started to look pretty similar. And more often than not, they were mechanisms around data product production, not the exact data transformation and storage technologies things like lineage, CICD, data quality, security, compliance, et cetera. Plain Concept's data platform is split into three layers of reuse. The first is that technical layer, which they made too technical at first to easily use for people who weren't extremely data engineering capable. Don't fall down the same trap. But again, that base layer is just about kind of the processing and the storage. The second layer is all about templates that they've built out through constantly watching for patterns of use. There's even a template catalog. The final layer is kind of the customization layer. It's all about enabling customers to create their own reuse-focused templates with an SDK, right? So you give them, here is kind of the way most people are doing it. So here's a template. We also give them the ability to say, well, we're going to do it differently and we want (laughs) to not have to do it by hand each time. Blanca and Pablo shared a few major underlying issues that will likely cause failure for your data initiatives. First, if your data strategy is only focused on the technical aspect, only on choosing a cool technology that you can't maintain and is too expensive, whether that expensive is time, cloud cost, license, etc. Second, trying to react to everything as an urgent tactical need or a short term change instead of having it play into the broader vision strategy. And third, not really focusing on change management at all. You need to align incentives, get your early wins to drive momentum, et cetera. It's a process to drive change. A lot of this is about being short sighted or that you're trying to focus too much on doing the thing with the data instead of how does the the data actually work with our overall business strategy quote unquote, beware the proof of concept. That's what Pablo and Blanca said. Many companies do proof of concepts, but they don't have a specific goal or plan. What are you trying to prove out? Why will that drive value? Far too often, organizations cut corners, don't have enough team allocated to the proof of concept, don't have a strategy or goals, etc. Again, what are you trying to actually prove in your proof of concepts? And how will you measure if you proved it? And what will you do next if you prove it or don't prove it? Right? If you're going to do the same thing either way, why do a proof of concept? (laughs) When determining if data mesh or anything similar is right for clients, Blanca and Pablo start from the pain points. What are the pain points? And then, much more importantly, what is causing those pain points? (laughs) Much like I frequently say, if data team centralization isn't your pain point, don't decentralize your data team. <laughs> if you are looking at a new approach or technology, what are you really trying to even solve? And even if you line everything up, the sponsors, the budget, the will, etc things can still go poorly. Nothing is 100%. And a, a quick last thought that didn't really fit in into any of these paragraphs, but I thought was interesting. A few additional failure modes that they mentioned were not continuing investment in your platform. It needs maintenance and innovation. It's not, again, that that initial push. It's not just kind of paying for it initially. You have to keep it going. You have to keep um, doing maintenance and, and adding to it. And second is if you aren't having broad scale uh, collaboration and sharing. right? That's a big failure mode. If everything is just kind of... Um, point-to-point collaboration and that each time you have to put a lot of work in to get teams collaborating with each other.